Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to another episode of the Nick Cage Fight Podcast, where we review, dissect, and break down Nicolas Cage movies because, well, we just kind of think he's neat. I'm one of your hosts, Josh, and I'm here with my good buddy and co-host, Rich, who is back from vacation. How was vacation, Rich? Vacation was pretty good. I was at the, in the, I don't know how uh, that part works. Outer Banks, North Carolina, which is why my voice was all, you know, robot But I did all the stuff that you would normally do when you're in, like, you know, a very affluent part of the country. You know, there's million dollar homes everywhere. You know, we went on the beach, saw some horses. I stole like six catalytic converters and stole and uh, sold them in North Philly. It was overall a productive vacation. Very nice and very profitable. Very profitable. It's because there's gold in them converters. There you go. I actually am not a car guy. I don't even know what that part does. And up until very recently, I thought it was made up. No, it's a real thing that you shouldn't steal because you definitely can't get like $600 for one of them in the streets of Philadelphia. Well, that's just good information for our listeners to have. Yeah, I'm trying to tell them, you know, what not to do, you know. It's a good idea to not steal a catalytic converter off of a 2009 Prius. There you go. We are here today to cover part two of 
the film Eight Millimeter. So where we left off our protagonists of Tom and Max, they had just gotten a new name, a new thread to pull in their investigation, and that name was Dino Velvet. Now, we mentioned it before, but it bears repeating. This is a great name for a sleazy porn producer. Yeah, it's a great porn name. They never say if that's his real name or not. I refuse to believe that it is, but it's a great porn name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. They don't get into whether or not that's his Christian name, but it doesn't matter. It's it's fantastic uh, for this particular business. So with this new lead, Tom and Max head out and grab, again, more videos for research purposes. And they grab Dino Velvet's, uh, some of his filmography, and they see the man in the mask again, featuring pretty prominently. And Max identifies this man as going by the moniker Machine. Yet not the Machine, just Just Machine, which I think is a better name. Well, it keeps you from confusing him with Burt Kreischer, I suppose. But it does get a little awkward because I want to keep saying the Machine, but it's just Machine. Yeah, like he's not even human. He is just an implement of weird BDSM gratification. You know, I don't want to say weird. I'm not here to kink shame. BDSM gratification, but it does get weird. Yeah, I think we can kink shame this guy, but yeah, no, this this guy we will (laughs) kink shame. The guy in all the HBO films that you love and shows that you love, we are kink shaming you. (laughs) You personally. Guy, Guy from The Wire. (laughs) So at this point, Tom and Max pack up and go see Dino. And their plan consists of commissioning Dino to make them a film and to have Machine involved as well. And that is going to... So this, this part wasn't explicitly clear to me. I don't know how this particularly advances the investigation or gets them closer to proving something, except for potentially the identity of machine. I don't know what the plan was after that, but this is their lead in. So the only thing that I can think of, well, there's a few things I can think of, but one of which doesn't really work because we have to separate what pornography was in 1998 versus what it is now. Whereas, you know, what it is now, it is an extremely legitimate business. There's LLCs, there's paychecks, there's paperwork versus this world that we're introduced to in the movie, which is everything is hush hush. It's probably everything is cash payments. So the first thing I was thinking of is, oh, maybe they're trying to see if he's in enough movies, like somebody must know something, except for everything that he has been in has been from this one director. The second thing is since he has, when I say he, I mean Nick Cage's character, has all of these connections with law enforcement and police and clearly has like good video software. Maybe between him and Max California, since Max is very plugged in with all of the, I guess, porn shooting sites or people within, maybe they can get a location or numerous locations and they can figure out where these are being shot because maybe he lives within driving distance of there. There's reasons I think that they are looking into all of this that is not solely perverted, but they are kind of few and far between. I don't think this is probably the greatest use of their time. Yeah, I like I, the the strategy was a little bit confusing, but you raised some good points as to why. Regardless, they do secure the agreement to shoot this film, and then they make their exit. Now, I just or wanna... 
or I just thought of something else because there's a scene coming up where they go and meet this guy. Maybe they need to watch them to have credibility. You know, like when you first talk to a new drug dealer, let's say, you have to kind of know what you're talking about. Otherwise, this dude's going to think like, oh, you're a cop. Yeah, that no, that's that's very possible. So that's also you raise a good point. Tom insists that one of the criteria of this commission is that he gets to watch them work. So uh, I do want to mention that Peter Stormare in this scene, like he's his character is done up immaculately as far as wardrobe is concerned. Like he's constantly wearing a robe. All of his fingernails are long and pointy. He has his classic longer hair slicked back numerous rings on he he looks exactly like you would imagine somebody named dino velvet to look like i mean it's it's pretty spot on yeah it's great costume choices by the person who was in charge of that yes absolutely so at this point in the film tom tries to send max home and gives him cash and says look this is getting dangerous at this point This is not what I have you signed up for. Here's money and a plane ticket home. I do work out on the West Coast. I'll call you back up. I do think you're very smart. You're a good contact. Max resists, but Tom insists. And then Tom heads off to the uh, location where they're shooting this commissioned pornographic film, which is in like an abandoned warehouse. Like he's walking through, you know, multiple (laughs) seedy, empty cement floored rooms. Yeah, like a basement of it. A thing that would not exist in Brooklyn in 2022, but that would have existed in 1998. So try to separate yourself from that because I'm watching it being like they would never be able to get away with this in Brooklyn. Yeah, I'm also questioning whether or not they obtained the appropriate permits, but that's neither here nor there. Regardless, Tom Tom walks in and Dino is shooting a crossbow at a crucifix set up in front of a target. Machine is there in full leather mask already. And weirdly enough, like a car pulls into this room that Tom has just walked up like stairs and stuff to get into. The location is, is a little bit iffy, but... If you're not paying close attention, it, it probably won't bother you too, too much. Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah. At this point, when the car pulls up, uh, Dino turns the crossbow on Tom, has him disarm himself of that gun that he was carrying around. And out of the car comes Eddie, confirms that this is, in fact, the dude who dropped by and was asking questions. And they rough him up a bit and cuff him to this bed that they have uh, in in the location of this porn shoot. And sure enough, Mr. Longdale, the lawyer played by Anthony Heald, shows up and it's sort of revealed that he was part of this scheme way back when this idea was cooked up and this film was shot. So and it's also revealed here that, yes, this this was a real snuff film what you watched was actually somebody being murdered. Yes. So Dino and Eddie arm Mr. Longdale with a gun, tell Tom he's to go and get the the film. The only copy, which was part of the stipulation to Tom when he took the job, though he has like digital images from it and stuff like that. So I'm not sure how closely he adhered to that rule, but Longdale walks him out to his vehicle where he has the film stored in his trunk. And now we get some interesting dialogue, like just just lines 
from Nick Cage in this movie from this point on uh, go off the rails. Like it's not delivered with the Nick Cage insanity that we're used to, but some of the words and combination of words coming out of Nick Cage's mouth, I think you can only find in this film. Yeah, you can definitely tell where this movie kind of took its left turn. And it is this scene here, because after this, the writing becomes a little bit weird. Like you're saying, Nick Cage kind of starts saying words and sort of weird words in weird ways. He does have a few signature Nick Cage freakout moments, but coming from a guy that we were just watching be like really, really collected for the first hour, 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm sorry, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves before Longdale escorts him to his vehicle to retrieve the film. Dino Velvet reveals that they have some collateral to ensure that Tom plays nice with their demands. And that is a roughed up uh, mouth duct taped uh, Max Hollywood that they dragged Max California. Oh, was it Max California? It was Max California. Um, that's my bad. Max that's okay. California. I'm, I'm here to keep you honest. It's... There you go. That's perfect. Yeah. Max California is dragged in and placed up on the crucifix and they, you know, they tell Tom to hurry back. So it's the... also just for people who know it's not like a crucifix. It's a St. Andrew's cross. Oh, okay. For, for those of you uh, either in the Roman Catholic community or kink community. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Which is distinction. Just, it's, it's it's a big X is essentially what it is. So on the walk out to the car, that is where Tom starts peppering Longdale with some questions. Longdale gets some digs in at Tom about how, you know, he saw the clientele, got invited into the mansion, and he thinks that that was some sort of opportunity for him. No, you know, they're just the helpers that clean up the shit of rich people. This is where we get the first bit of what I felt was really true inconsistency, because up until this point in the beginning, of even in the beginning of the movie, we are shown that Nick Cage is good at his job. He lives in a nice house in the Philadelphia suburbs. He was just working for a fucking senator. Mm -hmm. And then Longdale basically tells him in Siri, like it seems to be sincere. Like we didn't hire you because you were good. We actually hired you for the opposite reason. We think you're a schmuck and you're young. So we never thought you would get this close. Dead, dead serious. He was not trying to be insulting. You could tell that this is what he legitimately thought of him. The man who was hired by a senator, which even if it's a state senator, is still a high ranking, you know, political office. I was about to make that same exact point. Maybe it was a state senator. Maybe it's maybe he's playing for smaller stakes than we anticipated. But still, you're right. His competence throughout the film so far has been relatively stable and steady. But at any rate, some of the stuff that Nick Cage is saying at this point is like, did you did you did you hold his cock for him or something like that? Referring to like the rich guy watching this snuff film to get off and and so on and so forth. And that kind of language from Nick Cage sort of persists from here on out. But I thought one of the best parts of this back and forth with them when uh, Nick Cage is asking why uh, Longdale says because they could. Like, why Why do you think people with a lot of money and prestige do fucked up shit? It's because they can. That's why. It's, it was just because they're able to. So, yeah. Why do you think people go to the island that is owned by 
to go hunt people. Yeah, there you yeah, go. We're, we're going to have to bleep out, by the way, and bleep <laughs> it out there as well to make this joke work with other people who listen to Behind the Bastards. <laughs> so at any rate, Tom is still on top of his game to a certain extent. Those though things are kind of spiraling out of his control. He retrieves the film, but also grabs some sort of card tool. Uh, we've already established. I don't know what these things are, but it's basically a thin metal shaft with sort of like a punch grip on it. And he palms this as he as he takes the film from his trunk. They're brought back into the warehouse. Tom insists that they let Max go before he hands over the film. But of course, the machine cuts Max's throat instead. Very sad. Joaquin Phoenix's character dies at this point. All right, moment of silence over. They start beating on Tom pretty hard at this point and take the film from him and cuff him back to the bed before unspooling the film, dropping it on the ground, dousing it with lighter fluid and igniting it, getting rid of all evidence, presumably, of their crime. And this is the exact moment in the film where it really goes from, you know, Nick Cage being this hard-boiled detective who never really has to, like, raise fists or anything like that to a point where he is back to being an action star. This is where, I guess, Joel Schumacher was like, hey, remember that movie The Rock? You should do that again. Or like when you were in Con Air and you said, put the bunny down, like, let's try to get some shit like that going. And you just you just named two of the triumvirate. of Well, uh, yeah, because but yeah. this this movie is not far removed. You have those three. Then you have City of Angels, Snake Eyes and then eight millimeters. So, you know, Nick Cage is still. Yeah, I believe more perceived as like an action star at this point. And I think if there was a point where I had to guess that Joel Schumacher took over everything, it was this scene to the end. Because we go from, again, Nick Cage being a hard-boiled detective who is kind of slowly looking into things and trying to figure things out and it being, you know, more of a slower pace but very interesting movie into it being... Nick Cage is just going to go around and fuck people up, and that is what it is now. That's true, but we're still just a, a, a couple of moments away from where this really starts to kick into high gear. Right, so, I just think this is the kind of the first scene where it becomes evident oh, yeah, that this is, this is now a new writer. Yeah, so Nick Cage is uh, appropriately lumped up and cuffed to the bed at this point. And Tom makes the very clever decision to blow up the game. He knows about the amount of money that was withdrawn to kind of put this together. And so he says, you know, how are you guys still small time with a million dollars to spread around between you all? And, you know, you still haven't done shit since then. At which point, all of the bad guys sort of have a moment where they turn towards Longsdale and Longsdale starts backing up and they they begin to turn on him like, oh, you screwed us out of money, you know, and, and Dino Velvet actually references what you mentioned earlier. He's like, this is, you know, a cash business. If you don't follow the rules or if you try and rip people off, we have to deal with those conflicts internally. So they start menacing Longdale. You know, Dino has his crossbow. But Longdale gets Eddie to disarm himself. He has a he has a gun that he makes Eddie put down and kick across 
to them. It goes underneath the vehicle, which is semi-important later, although I'm going to explain why it's not exactly clear why this is important later. And at the peak of their standoff, Dino says action, points the crossbow, and shoots Longdale directly in the heart, it seems. Longdale responds by shooting Dino in the neck, and he proceeds to bleed out and start dying. So real real quick, before we get any further, I want to say that the way that you're describing it and the way that it's shot to me are two different things. Mm -hmm. When I watched it, I did not get the sense that this was Nick Cage playing a trump card. I got the sense that this was Nick Cage rolling a natural 20 on a luck roll. I don't think that he knew that the money, you know, was cheated or anything i think that he was just yelling lines and trying to get lucky with something and he just happened to get lucky with this then longdale gets shot in the heart longdale doesn't respond he is dying and he just his hand just happens to pull the trigger yes yeah you can like absolutely tell that and the bullet just happens to go through dino velvet's throat it's the luckiest scene that we have seen in a nick cage movie so far like this is not some (laughs) this is not some next level shit this is not some next level action hero stuff this is again nick cage is playing dungeons and dragons and rolled a natural 20 on luck see i like to agree to disagree on this because both in my opinion both potentialities here are fun right Oh, both are both are fun. Regardless, I kind of saw it as that way. But I think at this point, me personally, I had kind of already turned on this movie about three minutes before this happens. Gotcha. So, yeah, to, to just to defend my part at this at this point real quick in the conversation towards the car, uh, you mentioned, you know, Longdale is kind of needling him and Longdale explicitly says, you know, we got you cheap. Like, you know, we bought you cheap when they're specifically talking about the money that was laid out for the film. So I like to think that Tom back on his competent streak, put two and two together that this guy is kind of shady and greedy. And maybe he cheated these dangerous guys out of their full portion of the cash that was allotted to him. So it's either that or a lot of luck, but more stuff starts to kick off basically as soon as this happens. Dino has a great closing scene for himself as he starts to die in this seedy warehouse and he says no it's not supposed to happen like this it was supposed to be more cinematic and then with his dying breath he says to machine kill them all which that's a badass way for dino velvet to go out yes it absolutely is i'm gonna go backwards a little bit Mm -hmm. for two seconds the only reason that i disagree with what you said about him thinking back to you know the money Mm -hmm. is because his character so far again has been cool calm collected i know i've said that a lot over two podcasts at this point (laughs) and he is just belting these lines out yes like just yelling which to me is almost somebody who is throwing shit at a wall and hoping something sticks where he doesn't die but we don't need to linger on this any further i like your point of view i like my point of view i like yours too i think it's good either way it plays yeah, it, it it can play both ways and both ways would have been absolutely fine. So the action movie part of Nick Cage that you alluded to comes into full display now. 
Eddie rushes at Tom, who punches him one handed, the other hand obviously being cuffed to the bed. And when Machine runs up with his knife, Tom stabs him with that car tool that he palmed from the trunk, gets him right in the gut. And at this point, there is a tense scene where Eddie is scrambling to get the gun that he kicked that went underneath the car. Tom drags the bed to the table where he had disarmed himself with his gun, gets his gun loaded with just one bullet because he's working one-handed, and threatens Eddie to get him to stop. Machine yells out he's only got one bullet. Tom tries to get him to take off his mask. He refuses. And given this critical decision point, Tom shoots the chain to the handcuffs and runs. Eddie retrieves his gun, tries to shoot at the fleeing Tom, misses. Tom gets into the car, takes off. Eddie shoots out a couple of his windows, but he's otherwise unharmed. Now, the important part about this scene that I think was a mistake of some sort, unless I'm missing something critical, is the actions of Eddie. Because if we're keeping track of the math here, there are three guns in this scene. There is the gun that is Tom's that's on the table that is completely unloaded. There is the gun that Eddie pulled out of his waistband and kicked under the vehicle. And there's another that should have been dropped from the dead hand of Longdale after he fired one bullet from it to kill Dino Velvet. So why is Eddie reaching under the car? I didn't even think about that because there was so much happening in this scene. I did not think about that. I have no idea because even if he had a small gun, it should still have at least five shots. It was well, a meaning, semi-automatic as well, so it wasn't a revolver that long. Oh, so had. it was a, so he should still have. So he fired one. He should have eleven shots left, right? Potentially. I'm I'm not a super big gun guy. I didn't get the model of the weapon Longdale had. But the only possible conclusion that you could have for Eddie ignoring this, if, if maybe they gave Longdale a gun with one shot in it to deal with Tom as he went out to the car. But that doesn't really track. I think they just sort of forgot about it or forgot to explain why Eddie was going for the gun that he was going for. It's a little bit of a slip up. Yeah, I, I again, I didn't even think about it, but you're absolutely right. So at this point, Tom is pretty frantic. He calls his wife, tells her to take the baby and get somewhere safe. Then he calls the old lady. He tells her the film is real. Her lawyer is dead. He has to meet up with her and they got to call the cops. That's what's got to happen. Which she absolutely agrees to. Yes, but primarily she she specifically asks what the name of the young lady in the film was and then agrees to meet with him and then hangs up with him. So Tom rushes to the location of Amy and the baby. This is the first real out conflict that we see in their relationship as she is rightly scared shitless and super pissed at him. Right, but this is kind of where another turn happens because, mm-hmm. you know, she she's mad, but the rest of the film, it almost seems like she's okay with everything that is going on. She understands that he's a private eye. She doesn't even protest too much when he ends up bringing a gun, you know, to the most she says is like, oh, why are you bringing the gun? Oh, it's just protection, but I won't need to use it. Well, then leave it at home. No, no, I should bring it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And we kind of get this like character turn from her. Now, again, totally fair. He is telling her you need to leave the house and not tell anybody where you're going because your life is in danger. I would be scared shitless too. However, this is a wife of a private eye. I'm sure this is not the first time that he has been threatened. And the way that this scene plays out where he is not calm, 
but kind of goes through his head. What do I need to do to tie up some loose ends right now? He knows to A, call his wife, B, not mention where they're going. He literally tells her, go to the place where we went last year at the 4th of July. Yeah. So they have obviously had some sort of conversation because she doesn't even protest that much. I don't know. It's just, it's very odd. Her character, I think, was just used to build up additional tension that I don't think had to be there. I don't know. I like I like Catherine Keener's character in this. I thought it was pretty tightly played. I didn't see as much of a dichotomy with her actions or how she was playing as as you did. But of course, this stuff plays differently. And that's why we offer uh, differing perspectives on it. But regardless, this portion is handled and, and Tom goes to see the old lady who originally hired him for this job. It's uh, Mrs. Christian, right? I keep calling her old lady. My apologies. It's Mrs. Mrs. Christian. Christian. They don't refer to her by name a whole, whole lot, and she is the only old lady in the movie. So pardon me for that. When he arrives at the mansion... However, a butler or some type of hired help for the house answers the door and instructs Tom that Mrs. Christian had... You were going to say the old lady again. I was. I was indeed. uh, Has taken her own life and left instructions, including a letter to be delivered to Mary, the victim's family, and a second envelope for Tom, which says, try to forget us and presumably contains the rest of his money for taking on this particular case. I would hope there's a bonus involved. You would think this is above and beyond at this point, as far as the job is concerned. But Tom is now stuck wrapping all of this up himself. Amy does try and talk him out of it to a certain extent, but he knows he can't leave these threads hanging. There are some rather dangerous people involved. And also, it's become a bit of an ethical dilemma for him, which we clear up in action movie style pretty quickly. But Tom tracks down Eddie at the location of the porn shoot that he had scoped out uh, earlier in the film jumps him and smacks him in the back of the head with the butt of his gun, tries to get information uh, about Machine from him, learns that Eddie doesn't know anything about him except that he lives in New York. Real quick, what I will say is of the entire movie, this five to seven minutes this whole scene is, I believe, I think is probably the best scene in the movie. Between everything that is going on between the, I think, a very good chemistry between Nick Cage and James Gandolfini. I agree. I I really wish we got like another movie with those two as the leads rather than Nick Cage as the lead and Gandolfini as a minor character that comes in midway. I agree. But also, I I attribute more of this next scene to Gandolfini being Gandolfini. Man, I mean, he just acts the shit out of this next scene. Yes, yes, he does. And I'll let you describe it. I just wanted to let the listeners know that anything that we say about this scene is not going to do it justice. It is that good yeah it's not going to get it across it's a it's a it's a rough scene and also contains you're right in mentioning uh cage and gandolfini but we're actually uh missing i have to just get her name again amy morton probably the best performance in the film occurs at this point and it includes her so tom takes eddie oh yeah that's gut-wrenching oh yeah tom takes eddie to the location that the snuff film uh, was shot at and 
he questions Eddie, gets him to give him all the details of what happened when they made the snuff film. Eddie is very callous in describing what occurred and why uh, Tom confronts him about being the guy standing in the back room, the third man that he, you know, found earlier in the film. And we get some more crazy lines delivered by Nick Cage, like asking him if if, if he got off. Uh, did you come? standing in the room and and Gandolfini says, no, it made me sick. I've just never seen anybody killed before. That's why I wanted to watch, which is a weird justification. But I guess, you know, if you're involved in something to this point, I, I don't know what you'd expect as an explanation. But Tom ties up Eddie at this point with wire to, you know, one of the uh, two by four studs or whatever that that's making up uh, part of this crumbling wall and pulls out his gun, uh, presumably to execute Eddie for his part in this film. And Eddie goes off on him, uh, just tells him he's fucking stupid doing this with his own gun registered in his name. You know, you didn't think this out. You don't have it in you just berating Tom and so many slurs, so yes. many slurs. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of words that you really don't see in, in, in films these days for good reason. But Gandolfini's performance. Now you have you have you have Tom like pressing the gun to his head pushing it into one of his eyes at one point and Gandolfini is is pressing his head back licking the barrel of the gun saying do it you don't have it in you blah 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 it's um, it, it's it's an amazing scene it's very very intense and Tom walks out of the building to the echoing taunts of Eddie this whole time and he gets on the phone with the mother of the woman that was murdered and basically asks her for permission to take these guys out. Well, what makes it real gut-wrenching, if I'm not mistaken, is this is where he tells her that your daughter is not coming home. She's dead. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I believe he starts off with the, remember when we talked and mm -hmm. I asked you, whether or not you wanted the truth or if you wanted that hope. And she said, I still want the truth, which he gives her the truth. She very understandably completely breaks down to a point where if you told me this was a real phone call, I would believe it. Yeah, this I, I got to admit, there's a lot of good performances in this movie. This is the best. This is the best acted scene in this film. And it's just uh, her voice. It's just her voice. Well, and no, it gets we, across we so get much. It. We do get a clip of her. We get a clip of her answering the phone on her end, but mostly it's it is mostly, just her voice. Yeah, yes. it's and it's a great voice performance. Yeah, it, it, she kills it. It's it is the most emotional scene in the film, but she does basically give her blessing to you know Tom handling this shit, wrapping it up. So well, in a very in, in kind of a weird way, because he he asks her that and she doesn't respond. And all Tom said is or all he really says to her is, did you love her? Just tell me that you loved her. And to which she responds, yes, I loved her. And they end the phone call. And that's kind of the permission. Yes. The he, he doesn't he doesn't flat out say, hey, I want to kill the people who did this. Is that OK with you? He just asked her, did you love her? And when the mother says, yes, I loved her, he took that as permission. Again, a tremendous, tremendous scene. Yeah. I can't say that enough. Yeah, it's more accurate to say that Tom got whatever sort of 
validation he needed from that phone call without it being explicitly stated. But whatever it was that he took from it, it stuck pretty hard because he goes inside and proceeds to beat Eddie to death with the butt of his gun instead of shooting him and then takes all of the porn that Eddie had been trying to move, dumps it around Eddie's body, uh, soaks it all in gas and lights it on fire. Rip Eddie and uh, rip James Gandolfini. Man, it's a shame we don't get to see any new performances from him. Yeah, but we can just keep rewatching The Sopranos and it's just as good. This is true. So we get an interesting scene that I just want to mention just because of the way they, they did this. We have Tom on a plane. We have a fade in from the flames of him lighting Eddie's body on fire with all the pornography into him being on the plane. There's a constant call back to Max's original line about the when you dance with the devil, the devil doesn't change. You do. So we get some visual effects to hammer home that metaphor, uh, which is is pretty well done at this point, in my opinion. So Tom, has... yeah, just as a fan of subtlety, though, I, you know, I, I just didn't like it because I prefer things like that to be subtle. And I feel like they could have called it back in a more subtle way. But it's real. It, it's not harmful. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, I thought the scene itself was tastefully done. I wouldn't necessarily have been as I mean, we use the term ham fisted on this podcast pretty, pretty liberally at this it, point. It's a Nick Cage podcast. Yes, this is true. So Tom is heading to New York and he's calling hospitals, asking, pretending to be like a police officer, following up on a stabbing, asking about people who came in with an abdominal stab wound, trying to track down machine. Uh, he eventually gets the name and location. Now, just want to point out, uh, because this is one of the things we do here, this would not have worked because... Given the time this movie was made, which was 1999, the HIPAA uh, legislation that set in place HIPAA laws was established in 96. So nobody at a hospital would have been given this information out on the phone, even to a police officer. Never would have happened. Still, Tom is being slick with it. So good on him for that. But just in reality, that wouldn't have played that way. Yeah. I mean, you you know better than I do. So, but it does work out for him in this film where he, he lands on somebody who gives them the information and he learns that he's still on his mother's insurance and gives uh, Tom uh, his mother's address. And so Tom is scoping out the house where Machine lives with his mother. Real normalish seeming, which is and this is the whole purpose of the character it's supposed to make him seem more monstrous but his mother is elderly she asks him if he's going to go to church you know he says maybe next week she gets on a bus uh to head to church and while he's scoping out the uh the house i just want to point out uh, nick cage has some cool sunglasses on at this point in the film he's had several pairs throughout it but this one is the coolest pair so I'm glad they saved that for the end. Now, this is another thing that stood out as being probably not a great idea from Tom, despite all of his other slick PI moves is, first of all, he brought his now granted he's going here to commit premeditated murder. So maybe this doesn't matter too, too much, but he brought a gun into the suburbs of New York, which has uh, notoriously stringent concealed carry laws. But he also has a fucking silencer that he puts on his gun at this point, once the uh, the mother leaves for him to, you know, close out uh, this story by giving Machine his due. So risky business just in general. But then again, like I said, if you're going to commit premeditated murder, 
you know, uh, maybe that other stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm about to say, I don't, I don't think that he was really caring at that point. Correct. So Tom breaks into the basement of the house, and apparently, uh, Machine likes to listen to you know this weird techno metal when mama isn't home and it's it's blaring throughout the house as, as tom is sneaking through and the record cuts off at some point yeah it, it, it's a very thrillerish scene not yes. the michael jackson song yes. uh the movie genre so tom finds presumably machine's room with a record on a record player it apparently reached the end of the song it doesn't sound like that when it cuts uh specifically but i did want to point out because i thought this was really funny machine is a big danzig fan he has a bunch of danzig shit up in his room but the record that he's listening to or at least the song that's playing is an aphex twin song i don't know necessarily how much crossover that those genres have as far as the fans are concerned but I don't know. Danzig is weird. <laughs> so not finding anybody in the room, Tom leaves and then the record starts back up. So he turns to go back and is ambushed by machine full full mask again. Uh, I guess maybe he wears it around the house when mama's gone or he, you know, realized somebody was in the house. And so he he geared up. There's a scuffle. Tom's gun is knocked away. And when he runs and grabs it, machine tackles him out of the window and they fall off of this little side roof into a cemetery, which is right next door, which apparently this is a real location that they found on their way to the other scouted location and decided to use this place instead, which I got to admit, that's pretty cool. I, I might be a little bit biased towards the morbid. My my fiance loves that sort of shit. A house right next to a little iron gated cemetery would be 100% up her alley. Yeah, no, it's it's it makes for a very good little action scene. Not yeah. one that I particularly like, but we'll get to that later. So they they fall into the cemetery. Tom is knocked there. Uh, specifically his gun falls on the other side of the fence of the cemetery and then the little slope roof that machine is on collapses and then he falls into the cemetery as well there is a scuffle and machine is on top of tom with the knife and explains to tom the best part of killing someone is when they realize this is actually happening to him and blah 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 and <laughs> the most disturbing line of the movie to me was after his little speech, again, machine is full on on top of Tom with a knife to his throat. He asks Tom if he can feel how hard he is. But luckily, this villain monologue gives Tom time to grab one of those like tin bouquet like flower holders that are sort of punched into the ground by by gravestones. And he pulls it out and stabs machine in the back with it, gaining the upper hand. And when this occurs, Tom runs, grabs his gun and turns to the machine to machine, not the machine, and insists that he takes off his mask. He pulls off his mask and he's, you know, just some dude, some some balding middle aged dude. And he says, you know, machine says, what did you expect? A monster? He puts on his glasses, says his name is George, explains there's no reason for why he is the way he is he wasn't you know mistreated as a child nothing no no trauma it's just 
how he is. And he uses his speech to distract Tom long enough to get a hold of his knife and throws it and hits Tom like in the uh, the gut and rushes him. Tom pulls out the knife and stabs Machine George right in the chest, putting him down for good. Now, I just want to point out that, first of all, this is not a throwing knife that he has. This is like a hunting, skinning knife. And throwing a knife and having it land point first into a person is difficult, even if you have a lot of practice. So chalk that up to action movie magic there. This probably wouldn't have played that way. Yeah, no, as an owner of multiple hunting knives, that is not how that would play because of the way that it's weighted. Throwing knives are weighted a certain way so that the point will normally begin. Like, you know, when you watch a movie or somebody throwing knives, the knives are spinning. Yep. Because, you know, they throw them by the point and you know how it looks. With a throwing knife, the way that it's weighted, it's more it's more top heavy. So as it's spinning, you'll actually watch it. It'll spin less and less. And the point will kind of begin to like take shape, I guess, towards the front with a hunting knife, though. It's not top heavy. It's the exact opposite. All the weight is in the handle. Yes. Because you need to be able to wield that shit. Throwing it will, it will not go very far. And you will maybe get lucky and hit something with the point first, but probably not. Yeah, it, it it tumbles weird. It's weighted weird. As somebody who was previously a weird white kid, I've played around with throwing knives in the past. So just, again, it's difficult even with practice. But M- Machine lands a one in a million shot and then gets stabbed in the chest with his own knife. Frankly, embarrassing, Machine George. But you kind of had it coming. So Tom, we, we this is the final moments of the movie. Tom drives himself to the hospital, presumably gets stitched up, goes home, looks, you know, down on his baby sleeping in her crib. Again, just a call back to his moment before he took on this difficult case and then has a breakdown where he's sobbing to Amy, asking her to save him. We get the sense that a bit of time has passed. He's raking his lawn again, as he did right before he took the case. Uh, Looking a bit shell-shocked, but he checks the mail and he's gotten a thank you letter from Janet, the mother, who, and this is probably not a generally good idea, but, you know, in her letter, she details the fact that he's told her what he did to the men that killed her daughter and he sent her the money he got from the case, presumably, and she thanks him. And then credits roll from there. A solid movie overall. It was was entertaining. Uh, You can definitely tell where the turn is, where I think that... Who was the original writer again on this, Josh? I'm so sorry to put you out like that. No, 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 no. That's why I have notes. So the original writer was Andrew Kevin Walker. You can definitely tell where it shifted from his writing to whoever took up the responsibility. Yeah, Schumacher Schumacher and Kazan, Nicholas Kazan, uh, punched it up to make it a little bit more palatable for the screen. Yeah, because it 100% goes from a neo-noir to an action movie pretty quickly. And if you're wondering, uh, dear listener, how fucked up the movie could have been, remember that the original writer is the person who put pen to paper for the BDSM scene with a knife cock from Seven. So 
could have probably been a bit darker. And like, that's only the third most fucked up scene in that movie. Yeah. I and mean, that's... the one that got me, at least when I was a kid, and I have not seen Seven since, is the jump scare from Sloth, from Sloth Guy. Ah, yep. God fucked me up. Yeah, so they took a really dark subject matter noir and they punched it up to have a bit of an action film ending. But so I do want to say one of the fun facts that I've written down for this, which I'm I enjoyed eight millimeter. It's a fine enough film. Absolutely. However, one of the people that was considered to get the director nod for this was Paul Verhoeven. And I really would have liked to see that movie. If you're really, not, yeah, if you're not familiar, this is the person who directed RoboCop, Starship Troopers, Total Recall. Usually has a very serious message that, of course, as time goes on, people completely miss the fucking point of. I don't know what you would have done with this film, but I would have watched the shit out of it. <laughs> that would have been a crazy movie. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah. I I want to see. I, I want to see, God, what's the writer's name? I'm so sorry. No, no, no. No worries. Uh, it is Andrew Kevin Walker. I want to see the Walker cut of 8mm. Yeah, I would I would have been interested in that as well. So, yeah, like that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see where he would have taken this after, like, you know, I want to know, like, did, did, did he write Max California getting abducted and killed? When does his writing stop? How would he have ended this? movie i have an i i have an idea based on how dark it was and how seven ended yeah i i have a decent idea as to how this movie was going to end and yeah it probably would have been really dark again i probably i i am guessing here this is i have no inside information i do not have a direct line to andrew kevin walker i wish i did we'll have to get him on the pod but what I would think at the very least is you find out it's a real snuff film. The uh, Miss Mrs. Christian still ends up killing herself and mm-hmm. life goes on because you can't stop rich people from doing weird shit. Entirely and agreed. I don't think that we get the kind of revenge angle that we got. I think that may have been put in there as kind of a feel good. I certainly don't. Yeah, I certainly don't think you end up with it the way we ended up with it, with a happy ending, sort of with the hero triumphing. Right. Because again, I'm I'm thinking of seven, and like that just had a completely the villain wins. Oh yeah, big time. the 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 villain's plan goes off without a hitch in that one. So yeah, I don't know. I think as far as the overall moral of the story is, like with the uh, the metaphors that they were using, I think that plays appropriately. The The entire thing is distilled down to Max's line about dancing with the devil. The devil doesn't change, you do. And Tom Wells is, I think, without argument, changed by the events of this film. It's pretty apparent and pretty obvious. I mean, I don't know how you come out the other side of uh, events like this in exactly the same form as you entered it. So, you know, not very obscured, but it, it, you know, it does track throughout the course of the film. Yeah, and they did a very, very good job early on setting the scene of how serious this is and how grotesque this is. And again, like I was extremely uncomfortable watching those early scenes 
And, you know, this is coming from somebody who uh, was on the internet in the mid 2000s. So like, of course, I've seen faces of death. Of course, I've seen beheading videos. I was on 4chan like that. It just pops up. Yeah, no. So I'm mean, again, and we've run into this a couple of times with films that we've reviewed here as far as trying to take into consideration how they play at the time that they came out with this coming out in 99. It was probably a lot heavier in that time period because, I mean, the Internet has just desensitized all of us. But the and fact it's that it's still heavy, I want to yeah. definitely make that clear. Like it probably did play heavier in 1999 or 1998 or whenever. I think it was 99. You're right, 99. But especially the beginning parts of this movie where you're establishing, okay, we are watching a snuff film. Is it a real snuff film? It is. It's brutal. It's a hard watch. I, it took me a little bit of time to watch this movie because I did take breaks. Yeah, no, I think I think the preservation of that feeling, uh, evoking that feeling in the viewer is a testament to the fact that it's done pretty competently. So, you know, good on them for that. It, it, it's probably not going to strike the same chord with people watching it today that, the you know, it did with people in 99. But still, you know, done very well. It does preserve some of those feelings of discomfort in the audience. I'd recommend watching it. It's not the best. It's not the worst, but it's certainly a very watchable and entertaining film if you're in the mood for something a little bit darker. The yeah, and a huge shout out to the cinematographer who did a great job. His name is Robert Ellswalt mm -hmm. and has done other movies that are also good, creepy, menacing. He did, you know, on top of this, he did Magnolia. Okay. He did Boogie Nights. All right. Uh, he did There Will Be Blood. He did a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. It looks like this is Paul Thomas Anderson's dude. Interesting. He did The Town, which I think is a criminally underrated movie. The Town is a bit of an underrated movie. I like The Town. Yeah, he's basically done every Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Not, so, not every, but a lot. Like he did Inherent Vice. He did There Will Be Blood. He did Punch Drunk Love, Magnolia, Boogie Nights, Hard Eight. Hmm. So, so the last thing I will say from my list of fun facts, there is an eight millimeter two, which doesn't I have, was going to bring that up. Yeah, it doesn't have anybody from the original project. I don't know if it references the it initial story at all. I don't know how it would. It so. is two completely different things I, I, outside of name. It is a completely different does not reference the original movie. I don't believe it is about a snuff film. <laughs> That's, uh, I might have to check it out at some point. Just I'm, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm but... reading the Wikipedia right now. <laughs> but yeah, so there there was a second one made. It has nothing to do with the first, so far as we can tell. Oh, um, it's it's about blackmail over a sex tape. Like that's that's very different. Yeah, it doesn't seem. I I was about to say it doesn't seem as fun, but fun is the wrong word. That is the wrong word, but. You know, uh, I understand where your heart is at. It's, yeah, it's not going to be as good, as gripping of a watch. There we go. Yeah, 100%. So that's 8mm, folks. That's uh, that's a review of it. Entertaining. Nothing as far as the things that we usually rate Nick Cage on. Nothing super outstanding there, but just still solid performances. I, I um, actually, I think this is one of his better acted roles. Of the movies that we have watched, I think that it's still... Like, very clearly, Moonstruck is number one. I think we can both agree on that. 
Yeah. And I, I would put this in like one of the top tier like Nick Cage performances. Yeah, no, he does he does a great job. Uh this is actually one of the movies where I think that him going a little bit uh cagey at the end mm-hmm. uh is probably not the right call. And most of the time when he does go a little bit crazy, like it's normally like there's a good context. There's things going on that are uh, that, you know, his character is written to be a little bit nuts, you know, like his character in Ghost Rider and the second Ghost Rider and Snake Eyes. You know, he is going into these like looking kind of crazy already. In this, again, it's just kind of a switch that's turned. I agree, but he still plays it relatively straight. Oh, yeah, no, it, he absolutely does. And again, if if you can get through the first 15 minutes and say like, OK, this is something I'm still interested in. Watch the entire movie. Yeah. If you if you like dark crime thrillers, this is a solid one. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, mainstream stuff, this is about as dark as a mainstream movie is going to get, I would say. I agree with that. Almost assuredly the darkest Joel Schumacher film. So, <laughs> oh, well, now I'm going to look up Joel Schumacher and see what else he's done outside of <laughs> fucking Batman and the Lost Boys. Uh, let, oh, yeah. Fan of the Opera number 23. We already talked about those. Mm-hmm. Bunch of stuff I haven't worked on or haven't uh, watched at all. Uh, he directed two episodes of House of Cards. So I guess while we're talking about like sexual deviancy, why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? Falling Down, which is kind of a fun movie falling down is a fun movie i mean again fun being not really the correct word but yeah no did did he he didn't die did he he did 2020 oh schumacher died i was not aware in in, in 2020 but he stopped he like stopped making movies in 2011 gotcha yeah it looks like it was just uh music videos and the house of cards uh after that yeah but yeah he died in uh in 2020 died from cancer so still definitely the darkest thing schumacher ever directed fun fact he did also direct seals kiss from a rose version one music video that's what fun. a great song <laughs> it's a good song it's just to tie it back into our patreon episode of community if you just want a good laugh Type in community kiss from a rose to watch Jeff Winger and the Dean do it together. And it's very solid. There you go. So it is it is that time where we talk about our social media presence. Of course, well, hang on. It's first. It's that time to talk about what movie we're doing next. Oh, yes, please. Please don't keep me in suspense any longer. Well, OK, so I, I did roll the dice. And I'm going to keep it with this, but like, I really, really wish that it had landed on World Trade Center. Yeah, we missed the boat. Just yeah, just because like, I, so the day of recording the second part of this episode it is 9-11. So we really should have done World Trade Center. But hey, the good thing that didn't come out right. <laughs> the, good, the good thing about 9-11, the thing about 9-11 is that it happens every year. There's a lot of Nick Cage movies. Man, I am getting dangerously close to being canceled. No, no, no. It's 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 fine. Also, you haven't forgotten. So, you know, uh, good on you. No, we can't forget. Never forget. I'm done talking about 9-11. Yes. Uh, So our next movie is actually next. Yes. The next movie is uh, what is it? Next. Yeah, I'm. I'm wait. I'm sorry. The Abbott. I hate, I, I, I hate this bit so much already. The All fucking right. movie is called Next. Perfect. Excellent. Next. I'm. I'm excited for Next. I don't think I've ever seen Next. 
I know I've never seen it. Although I feel like next, I I feel like there were a couple of see the future Nick Cage movies and I might be getting them mixed up in my head. I'm not entirely sure, but I'll figure it out in the time between now and when we record our next episode. I feel like what's the see the future movie with Tom Cruise? Because I feel like I get those uh, to the minority report. Yes. Yes, I feel uh, like I get those two movies mixed up a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what what it is, but I I do believe it has to do with seeing the future, and I do think it's not the only see the future movie Nick Cage is involved in. But we'll get there when we get there in the future. Uh, yeah. As for uh, next released in 2007, so I will say uh, this is sort of after his heyday. This is the Ghost Rider years that we're into. Oh, good. It should be nice and weird. Starring Nick Cage, Julianne Moore, who is very mm-hmm. good. Jessica Biel, who is okay. I-, I was never a big Jessica Biel person, but I mean, I know that she has been in stuff that people liked. Like she was in the Total Recall reboot, not reboot, mm-hmm. remake. She was in Hitchcock, where Hitchcock I kind of enjoyed. She was also in movies I didn't enjoy, such as I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Ah, I don't think I ever even watched that one. Yeah, don't. It's garbage excellent save me some time there and not not the good kind of garbage that we watch constantly yeah if you want to come at us about what we think is garbage or isn't garbage or really for any of our opinions you can do so on twitter at cagefight underscore pod you can also do so by giving us money at patreon.com yeah that'll that'll show us to give us five bucks a month to show us how much you hate us patreon.com slash nick cage fight whole bunch of different tiers for any type of person we have the tier where you get to vote on movies we have the tier where you get to watch us riff on nick cage movies we have the tier where you get to watch them with us you get bonus content tiers and all of these are like under 15 bucks like nothing is like crazy expensive except for the i am nick cage tier do not get that unless you are nick cage yeah it's not for you Unless you're Nick Cage. No, I feel like I have to say that every episode because I know somebody out there is looking at it saying like, if I do this, do I become Nick Cage? You might, but still don't do it. No, no, no. I'm I'm straight up saying you will not become Nick Cage. You will just become $500 poor and $500 over a year is what? Six grand. So you don't want to be six grand poor. You don't have $6,000. Mike yeah. from <laughs> Iowa. Yeah, we're talking to you, buddy. Yeah, we're talking to you, Jeff from texas don't do it don't even think about it but of course listeners but do but but do think about the other tiers i agree with that just consider it you know we're we're gonna have a no an, oh my god november this is this is september i'm bad at months we're gonna have a september episode up coming up in the next couple of weeks we haven't really decided what it's gonna be on yet i'm gonna figure that out in the next couple of days and run it by Josh and make sure it's something he wants to do. There's a few ideas that I have in my head, again, for uh, Nick Cage adjacent things. Yeah, it should be fun. The first one was fun. I like talking about the community episode, so. Yeah, so we'll we'll definitely figure out a new episode. Our poll is going to be taken down in the next two days for the September Patreon. The October one will be put up where, you know, you get to vote on the Cage movies and it'll be a lot of fun. I agree. So thank you, listeners, as always, for tuning in. We appreciate you. We do appreciate you. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. I love you too. Outro music.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Slots. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.